Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a gopher in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. Welcome back to the Den Husky Warming House Podcast, fans. It is episode number 47 here on the Sunday morning. Nick Maxson alongside my co-host, Noah Grant. Noah, it's a Sunday morning. There's uh, a whole bunch of hockey uh, coming up uh, this afternoon, especially in the National Hockey League level. Um, I'm most excited because tonight, the 31st of January, the time of recording, is the debut of the Minnesota Wild reverse retro jersey. So I can't wait to see. Hopefully, those jerseys bring them some luck because they're going to need it against a very tough Colorado Avalanche squad. But uh, other than that, how are things going up in the great state of North Dakota? It's been good. Um, we just we just have a lot like on the docket today. Just kind of an interesting week without the men's hockey team playing. Um, uh, one thing to note too, we we did uh, um, we did have something on the uh, Twitter page. We put a poll out about um, the gallery and speaker view as far as our healthy scratch interview segments are concerned. I did want to kind of mention. Uh, we'll mention this again for our thing on Tuesday as well. But uh, um, it was pretty much split down the middle, but the reason that we're actually going to stick with the gallery view that you're seeing normally on the screen is simply for the fact that, um, uh, depending on how good our guest audio is, sometimes it will jump around from screen to screen, uh, and essentially, uh, point the camera at one of us when our guest is talking. And, uh, it's kind of a weird experience sometimes if you happen to have, uh, a tough internet connection or kind of odd audio. So we're going to stick with the gallery view because it was split down the middle. Essentially. Um, we might anticipate maybe doing speaker view for certain things in the future, but I just want to let people know, um, that we are going to stick with the gallery view, but thank you to all of those who, uh, um, did participate with that. With that being said, Nick, um, I, I mean, I'm doing good, uh, hanging in there, <laughs> you know, just trying to stay, stay sane and calm. And it was kind of a weird week, not watching any Huskies hockey on the men's side. So uh, I'm ready to get back in the swing of things. I think the rest was much needed, but uh, really excited for hopefully our upcoming guests uh, that have tentatively agreed to come on the show with us. And that is the flying fins uh, Vietti Mietnin and Yami Kronola um, are set to hopefully join us this upcoming week. Uh, how have things been for you uh, down in the twin cities area? Uh, not too bad. Uh, luckily for January, it's been uh, mild in terms of the weather is mm -hmm. concerned. So Very. traveling back and forth to St. Cloud isn't quite as, uh, you know, I guess, horrible as it could be, which is good. Um, we were supposed to get some snow last night, but that never really materialized. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Again, uh, with all the driving that I do, I know, Noah, you know how many miles I put on my car seemingly every week. Um, anytime that it's easier and less uh, factors that can goof it up, the better. So uh, things are going well. We're going to be doing uh, so, uh, schedule is going to get a little bit busier next week as I'll be helping to produce the news as well as doing some as well as some other producing with Husky Productions. Got a feature that I'm working on coming up, which will be really, really fun. Uh, kind of a deeper dive into some of the things that a certain player does. So it's going to be kind of fun. 
Uh, but beyond that, uh, I'm just excited for the Huskies to get back to next weekend. I know that mm-hmm. the uh, you don't want to break when you're playing well, especially when you had that weekend like you did against uh, Miami. Uh, but it'll be nice to see after a week of rest and hopefully some extra preparation that they're able to bounce back against Western Michigan, where unless, you know, uh, 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 beyond the first game of the season, I should say, uh, you can tell it's Sunday morning, can't you, Noah, because <laughs> the coffee hasn't hit just yet. Uh, <laughs> but they definitely are looking to get back into the win column against the Broncos, which uh, have had their number this season for whatever goofy reason it is. And uh, Huskies want to continue to have that train roll, especially with North Dakota winning. Uh, again, North Minnesota Duluth tying them with 33 points. Omaha is knocking on the door at 30. So I want to keep uh, getting those points, critical points, especially the NCHC standings. Yeah, I think the bigger ice sheet might benefit the Huskies against a, a hard and heavy team like Western Michigan, who likes to kind of box out, if you will. I think the extra time and space might help the Huskies. Uh, but speaking of time and spaces, normally we do our double minor giveaway on the first show of every month. We're going to actually do it for the month of February. We're going to do it today because we are one day away. And uh, because I with the with the weekend off i just feel like putting together the names so uh we're going to get into that as well as our two-line fan trivia which was apparently a real stumper this week so without further ado two-line trivia two-line fan trivia is your chance to win some sweet huskies warming house podcast apparel every saturday at noon simply follow us on twitter and when 12 o'clock noon rolls around on saturday gear up to take on the best in the two-line fan trivia leaderboard for your chance to win a huskies warming house podcast hat Twitter followers also have a chance to win more Huskies Warming House podcast apparel, and you'll also find the latest in St. Cloud State Husky coverage. Two-Line Fan Trivia, every Saturday at noon. And Nick, this week's Two-Line Trivia um, segment or question, I should say, um, uh, for some reason was just a stumper. I, I shouldn't say for some reason. I actually... Uh, um, we only you had made it that you made it happen that way. Come on. You know what's funny is I almost, because I got this question after doing my prep for Tom Nelson for his interview, I almost changed the question because I thought it was actually too easy. I thought it was like a softball. So, um, but it took 48 minutes for somebody to finally answer the question. Nick, to put that in perspective, the last time we've had a question not get answered within half an hour of the question being posted, guess what month it was? June? Close. July. Middle of July is the last time that we've had a trivia question go past the half an hour mark. So, um, yeah, this one was, I guess, a stumper. But we did sit down with Tom Nelson, who spent 25 years covering St. Cloud State Athletics. In 2015, Tom became the director of athletic media relations, replacing a person who was a longtime employee in that position. Who had that title before Tom and what year did this person start in this position? Nick, do you have any idea? Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. The year is 1985. And apologies if I get this name wrong because I struggle with it. I've only heard Tom say it once. I think it's Ann Abicht, if I'm not mistaken. But she was started there in 1985 and spent 30 years in that role before handing it off to Tom during her retirement in 2015. She currently resides in the St. Cloud State Hall of Fame and is a multiple COSIDA uh, award winner. Um, kind of crazy to think about between... Uh, um, you know, in cumulative experience, uh, that's uh, 55 years covering St. Cloud State Athletics between Ant and Tom Nelson. So uh, um, we wish them both. Obviously, Ant's been retired for a while now, but we wish them both uh, best of luck moving forward in their retirement. But the victory does go to our second place uh, leaderboard holder in Tinner Heath. Um, and it was interesting. It's the only time I've ever actually asked a guest or a guest, uh, someone who's won trivia, um, where where he got his information or where the source came from because I was very curious. Um, 
he found the correct answer in the university chronicle archives searching via keywords searching director wow. of media relations yeah so that's, that, that's spot on yeah that's it shows how dedicated some of these people are on for the leaderboard don't forget our leaderboard will extend until the st Cloud state men's hockey season does conclude uh in march sometime so that will be uh that will be the end of the leaderboard grouping for our first ever round or season playoff whatever you want to call it of two line fan trivia and then we'll move into uh our off season uh new leaderboard uh concurrently uh wow that was a real bumble of words wasn't it nick that was it's sunday i'll, I'll give you a pass uh, this time <laughs> that, that was not good but we do have one more thing to jump into before we bring ben holden in for center ice news and notes and that is our double minor giveaway here so um I'm going to share my screen here now because last time when we tried to do this, I tried to share my screen and for some reason it shared a picture of Nick. Um, so I had, it was to not good. Yeah, it was, we definitely had to crop that one out right away. So Nick, I just want to make sure that you can see this here. I can see this. Perfect. So we have 356 names in our drawing this week. We have two winners that will win Huskies warming house podcast t-shirts. So our first winner here is at a swimming bison i don't know who that is but that's a very creative uh nick do you have any idea who this is that's a very creative uh it um, sounds like someone from north dakota honestly doesn't it yeah it okay. does and that, that has me worried a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see who that is um number two in our winner is at our galley 29 i i don't know this might be a kid that i went to school with went to high school with. isn't that bad that i don't know who that is <laughs> no with how many names are in that if you knew everybody i would be more worried honestly. yeah but we do have two winners there for uh our double minor giveaway so congratulations to our winners you are going to get a husky's warming house podcast t-shirt uh we also have uh, a hat that you can win for two line fan trivia every saturday at noon if you are a first time winner so don't feel afraid to participate in that and we're going to participate in centerized few news and notes coming up right now Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Welcome to the Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup inside of the Huskies Norman Notes podcast episode number 47. Lots of news and notes to get to this week. We're going to dive into the NCAA's selection process as we are nearing the NCAA tournament. A lot of injuries as well as COVID-related terrorism that is piling up in the National Hockey League. And the Seattle Kraken added a big unrestricted free agent to their team. And plenty of also college hockey news to get around. But first, locally here for St. Cloud State, the men's team. They did not play this weekend, but four other NCHC teams took to the S this weekend, both Friday and Saturday. North Dakota did pad their NCHC leading 38 points with a split to the Omaha Mavericks on the road, while Minnesota Duluth scored eight goals throughout the week to move into second place in the league with 33 points. St. Cloud State has also uh, 33 points as well with seven games remaining in the regular season schedule, but also now sits back in third place with one more regulation loss than the UMD Bulldogs. St. Cloud does get back to the action this upcoming weekend at home against Western Michigan, who are 3-1 and one against the Huskies this year. Omaha runs up things from the top four in the NCHC standings with 30 points, with also a game in hand on the Huskies. Moving over to the women's side in the WCHA, the St. Cloud women's team traveled on the road this past weekend, but it was not a smooth trip. Uh, the team bus that was headed to Duluth on Friday caught fire and broke down on the highway. 
in ironic fashion, St. Cloud's weekend was much the same, losing both contests against the Bulldogs by a combined score of 10 to 1. Duluth has outscored the Huskies by a whopping 19 to 2 margin this season. Uh, the weekend pushed the Huskies into the last spot in the WCHA for the first time this year by a single point, while Duluth is in a dogfight, pun intended, for the second spot in the standings. St. Cloud State is back at home against Mankato next weekend, who took two overtime wins Friday and Saturday against Bemidji State. And lastly, Ohio State and the University of Minnesota split on the weekend in the WCHA roundup. In the National Hockey League, the Minnesota Wild have had a rocky week entering the month of February. The Wild are 5-4 and four with a split against the L.A. Kings, plus losses to San Jose and Colorado last week. The team will be without forward Kevin Fiala until next Saturday against Arizona. He was suspended three games for boarding Kings defenseman Matt Waugh. Minnesota was also anticipating the return of first-round draft pick Marco Rossi, who instead was sent back home to Austria last week due to complications related to COVID. And we learned early on Sunday afternoon, he will not play again this season in the National Hockey League. Sources confirm the complications are from when Rossi tested positive back in November, while the team recently welcomed back goaltender Cam Talbot. Forward Marcus Johansson is day-to-day after an injury in Saturday's loss to Colorado. Matt Dumba appeared to fall awkwardly on his right knee in the game and did not return himself. The team is also without Matt Zuccarello and goaltender Alex Stalock. Moving over to some broadcasting news, longtime Carolina Hurricanes play-by-play voice John Forsland will now be an, uh, serve as the new TV play-by-play announcer for the Seattle Kraken, which will be broadcasted on Root Sports next season when Seattle comes into the National Hockey League. Forsland began working in the NHL in 1991 with the Carolina Hurricanes, who were there were the Hartford Whalers at the time. He has called NHL games on television since 1995 for Carolina, as well as nationally on NBC Sports. He joins former Canes general manager Ron Francis for the Kraken's inaugural season set to begin in the 2021 and 22 season. Speaking of general managers, Pittsburgh Penguins GM Jim Rutherford resigned due to personal reasons last Wednesday. Rutherford also spent 20 years with Hartford and Carolina in that group before moving to the Steel City back in 2014. Rutherford architected those back-to-back Stanley Cup winning teams in both 2016 and 2017. And at 71 years old, his departure is not health-related and he plans to reassess his NHL future during the summer. The Penguins currently have 20 people interviewing for the vacant position, including former players Chris Drury and Scott Mellenby, as well as Ron Hextall and current interim GM Patrick Alvin. The team anticipates that a new general manager will be hired within the month of February. In scheduling news, two Vegas and San Jose Sharks games in the NHL were postponed due to COVID. The positive tests have come out of the Golden Knights camp, including three coaches who are isolated. St. Louis was also unable to play Vegas last week, and GM Kelly McCrimmon will coach the team until their regular staff can return. This comes on the heels of San Jose's clearance to return to the SAP Center in February on the 13th. The Sharks haven't been able to play in their home rink since the NHL resumed play in January due to heavy restrictions in Santa Clara County. In more difficult personnel news in the National Hockey League, a couple of Nashville Predators, excuse me, Nashville Predators netminder Connor Ingram voluntarily entered the player assistance program this last Monday. The 23-year-old Saskatoon native spent last season in the American Hockey League with the Milwaukee Admirals after being traded from the Tampa Bay organization. He was a staple of the team Canada's 2017 World Junior Cup run and was drafted by Tampa in 2016. 
And then also out in the desert, former Arizona GM John Chaikin has been suspended from the National Hockey League in 2022 for conduct detrimental to the league and the game. Chaikin terminated his contract with the team last July in a nasty split after spending four years with the Coyotes, which made him the youngest general manager in National Hockey League history when he was hired at the ripe old age of 26. In our final topic of this week's lengthy segment, we have a fair amount of player transactions, injuries, and quick NHL tidbits to get to. Uh, in a unique midseason acquisition, the Chicago Blackhawks have signed defenseman Madison Bowie to a two-year, two-way deal on Thursday. A 25-year-old played in 53 games for the super red-hot Detroit Red Wings uh, last year, recording 17 points. Six-foot-four uh, defenseman Christian Yaros was dealt to San Jose from Ottawa last week, but the trade market actually seems to be heating up around the league as well. Sam Bennett has requested a trade out of Calgary and the St. Louis Blues have discussed moving 24-year-old defenseman Vince Dunn. In injury news, Toronto goaltender Jack Campbell injured his leg and will be out for a few weeks. New York Rangers forward Philip Cheadle will miss over a month with an upper body ailment and Chicago's Alex DeBrinkett and Adam Boakvist are out for two weeks with COVID protocols. The Edmonton Oilers placed former Minnesota Wild forward Tyler Ennis on waivers and the New York Rangers did the same with defenseman Tony D'Angelo. Finally, the Washington Capitals unveiled new alternate uniforms this past week. The sweaters are blue and red, blue with red and white stripes, a white W on the crest, and white shoulders. The team will wear the thread seven times this year, with the next appearance set for February 7th against Philadelphia. Guys, that will do it for our weekly roundup for the week. Um, uh, how are you guys doing uh, uh, today, especially bringing in our third member of the party, uh, Ben Holden. Ben, uh, how are things in the Michigan area? How have you been staying sane? Uh, how's the sports betting going? <laughs> <laughs> it's going well, boys. Good to be with you here on a Sunday, as always. And uh, it's been good. I mean, our governor hasn't done a whole lot of things right, um, in my opinion, in this state. But one of the things she's done is allowed us to gamble online. So that's been kind of fun to play around with that. Um, all kidding aside, things are good. Uh, I've been watching a ton of hockey, whether it's been the National Hockey League or the NCHC or college hockey in general. Just uh, keeping busy and uh, got the fourth line plumber boots on and just going to work and trying to generate some stuff here coming up, guys. So everything's good with me. Yeah, really excited. Uh, Nick, I know we touched on this a little bit in the pre-show, but uh, just while Ben is here, uh, how have things been for you this week? It's been busy. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, again to welcome back the Huskies back home to the Nat uh, Herb Brooks Center uh, coming up with Western Michigan in town. So I'll be uh, doing some television work this weekend up there or helping to uh, uh, produce some of the intermission segments. So uh, very, very excited about that. And I'm also looking for the team to just kind of have a little bit of a statement bounce back from the squad who's had their number this year. So I'm um, looking forward to see what they do with the week off. Hopefully they're rested, but also uh, still have their mind back from a couple of weeks ago when they uh, had a couple a good couple weekends ago um, in the NCHC. So excited to see what this team can do here this upcoming weekend. Yeah, men's hockey, a lot of exciting things coming up for us as far as that's concerned. We tentatively have the Flying Finns, uh, Yami Kranala and Vieti Mietinen yes. coming on the show, hopefully uh, in the coming week here. Um, you know, it's kind of been a weird week. I, I know Ben and I talked about this a little bit on Thursday. Uh, I don't know if this is the appropriate term, but I think everybody's just a little bit disgruntled this week. I don't know if it's the weather. I don't know if it's just, it's been kind of a gray and dreary week, but I think uh, 
this Sunday has been refreshing to talk a little bit of hockey and kind of get away from it all because it's just been not such a fun week. At least I can probably attest for uh, the three of us. It's just uh, we're looking forward to the upcoming week and having men's hockey back in action. Uh, but women's hockey was in action this past weekend, as we mentioned, uh, a really tough weekend in Duluth. Duluth, a very good hockey team, like we mentioned again, but uh, I believe four to one on that Friday night and then six to nothing on that Saturday. Uh, Duluth just keeps right on rolling in that WCHA, who it's an absolute dogfight in the top four positions in the standings there similar to the nchc um nick uh, what is, again i know we go back to this every every week but what does this mean for this women's hockey team does it mean that we overvalued them here or is it just a team that wasn't able to find any traction against one of the better teams in the conference i don't think it can overvalue um you know the women's hockey team I, I, you know again they're, they're coming from a spot where it's a tall letter to climb and, you know, you have to measure success in, in small steps. Uh, Minnesota Duluth is a, is just up there and they're just a really, really good squad. And, and I think for, for St. Cloud and the women's program, we have seen, I know when I called the games last weekend, uh, you know, there, there was some really good strides. They put up a fight, a really good one against a uh, number one ranked Wisconsin there on Saturday. So uh, the big thing for me is this consistency with this squad and can they uh, generate a little bit more offense? You know, there, there's one thing that they did a lot last year was defend a lot in the game. And if they can get the puck in the offensive zone and establish some type of possession with the puck, this team can actually start to really generate some good chances for themselves and really keep some of those big guns away from their um, offense. It also starts have been an issue for, for the women's hockey team maybe not just being quite ready especially uh, you know the bottom two lines but you know at the end of the day you know you have to tip your hat to where it's due with uh, Minnesota Duluth they're a really good squad and for the women's team um, again that the score sheet doesn't tell all the whole justice doesn't tell the whole story and I think there is some successes there but again how can they bring it all together and, and play it every time for uh, for moving forward in the next rest of the season. Yeah, I think this women's hockey team has to be willing to play on their toes from the get-go. I think you can't be worried about the idea that you're playing Wisconsin. You know, you, you know that Wisconsin's going to put two or three on the board most nights, at least. You know, like that that's just the caliber of their team. So you got to realize that the best defense is a good offense. And I think this women's hockey team, they, they have a tendency sometimes to sit back and let the game come to them. You can't do that against some of these better teams in the WCHA. So hopefully they write the ship. They had a good series against Mankato earlier in the season. They're back in action at home again uh, this upcoming weekend against the Mavericks. Uh, speaking of Mankato, moving over to uh, uh, the men's side, and I suppose talking about the women's side a little bit, we have some changes coming up. Obviously, the men's WCHA is kind of going by the wayside. What does that mean, you know, first of all, for the women's WCHA? But then we also had a listener question here about the NCHC. Uh, there have been conversations since the inception of the NCHC about additional members uh, joining this league. Um, Mankato has probably been the most frequent team discussed, um, but a lot of people believe that an even number is critical. So uh, the question is kind of listening to our three thoughts on does it need to be an even number? Does St. Thomas throw anything uh, out of the ordinary as far as Minnesota teams are concerned? Um, what about Western Michigan and Miami wanting to join the newly configured CCHA that will have three Minnesota schools, four Michigan schools, and an Ohio school? Um, that's kind of a lot to process here, um, Nick's, uh, Nick and Ben. So, Ben, maybe if you want to try to make sense of this here, uh, first let's start with the NCHC. What do you like about the current NCHC? Have you heard any rumblings about changes regarding this league? Does the lead need to change change things moving forward as the new WCHA realigns with the CCHA 2.0? I don't know if it needs to, and and I'm not basing this off anything more than just my my feeling on the league. I mean, I think Mankato would be a great fit in the league. I think 
Bemidji State would be a great fit in the league too. Um, you know, think about the way the CCHA was and even the WCHA. I mean, for the most part, with the exception, you throw Alaska out because everyone's got to fly there anyway. There were bus leagues. And I think, you know, in, in listening to you read that question about Miami and Western Michigan, I'm not speaking for them. I know the, I know the buyout is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of a million, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to, be out of, to be released from the league. I, I don't think those schools are in a position to do that. Um, financially, I think because of COVID, um, and I've said this since last summer, the, the the group of five schools, you know, looking at the big picture with college football and, and, you know, power five, group of five, those schools are in big time trouble anyways, before this happens. So, you know, again, I don't know that that's something that they're going to do. I think that they probably both like to stay in the league, but personally, I think it would be better for both if they were, in the new CCHA, uh, just my opinion, um, for travel, for rivalries, things like that. I mean, I think back to, you know, going into Miami early on in the NCHC for all the games we did there. And I don't think they were nearly as excited for let's take North Dakota, for example, coming in. They, they, they didn't get up for that. They got up for games more like against Western and against games like Michigan state and Michigan. And, and so it takes time for those things, those rivalries to build, but, um, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but you guys know me. So Nick, Nick, where, where does, uh, maybe to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, let's say Western Michigan and Miami, maybe they move, maybe they don't. Where do teams like, especially your Minnesota based teams, your Bemidji's, uh, you know, your Mankato's even St. Thomas kind of entering into the fold, where do they fit into the mix moving forward as far as the NCHC or other leagues are concerned in your opinion? Uh, oh, it's actually a question I asked uh, Josh Fenton, actually very directly about Bemidji mm-hmm. as well as Mankato. And the concern was the financial situation. So again, and with COVID, it's only amplified it. Um, I think obviously college hockey, when we've talked and we've had them on the show, Noah, both Fenton, we've had Don Lucia on, we've had Motsko and every college hockey person that's in the, the upper Midwest here understands that I think at some point, everything's going to realign to be something more regional they know that essentially, I mean, we had a turning point in 2013, right? With the old WCHA, we did. Um, They realized that that created, you know, essentially an empty void for a lot of fans. And I know they're trying to write it. And as Ben said, these things take time. And obviously, especially now, money's critical. And I'm with Ben on this. I don't think Western Michigan and Miami are willing to pay a million bucks to come out of the league. I don't think they're in a position like Ben said. But I do think if you're Bemidji and Mankato looking to, you know, maybe, you know, kind of create some new rivalries as well as to get into a league that historically, you know, from the very short time of the Benaron has been, you know, pretty much the hallmark for college hockey in terms of leagues have been. I know that they'd be knocking on Paul and, or excuse me, Josh Fenton's door uh, to try to get into this league. The question is, does it make sense financially? And that's going to be just as tough as well. So um, I, I could see the NCHC replacing those two, if it does happen with Bemidji and Mankato, but there would have to be a significant financial influx from those two schools to make it happen. Just because again, to, to make it all there, the money's got to be there as well with the NCHC. I know they have a partnership with CBS sports network, um, but at the end of the day, you know, what, you know, with NBCSN shutting down, where does it leave other leagues? You know, you know, there's a lot of question marks there, but just from a pure hockey sense, I would like to see those two join the NCHC. Yeah. I'd rather want to knock on Josh Fenton's door as opposed to Paul Fenton's door. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Uh, <laughs> but Ben, I, I, I guess to follow up on that a little bit, uh, let's say the NCHC does want to restructure a little bit, you know, d- besides Western Michigan and Miami, is there a team 
in the NCHC that drawing out of the league and moving to a different league makes sense both financially and as far as like future team uh, intentions. Uh, is there a team in your mind that maybe has the potential or uh, maybe has the desire to move on from the NCHC? I mean, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there's always a lot of rumors about certain teams here and there, but nothing, nothing that I'm comfortable talking about publicly. I mean, you know, there's rumors and, and things like that, but I, I don't think there is. I think the way I, I will take it a step further. I would say this. I think Air Force should be in this conference, this conference. It's perfect. You got Colorado College, you got Denver right there. It makes sense for them to be in this conference. They could bust if they were in the conference as opposed to playing in Atlantic hockey. I mean, now granted, they got Air Force planes they can get on, and that's how they get the games for the most part. So that helps them. But I think they'd be a great addition too. And, you know, I, I, one of the parts of the question that you guys got or we got was, does it have to be an even number? I don't think it has to be an even number. I mean, if you have 11 teams, let's say you have 11 teams. So everybody plays everybody twice and you play 20 conference games. Or maybe you have, you know, those those cluster partners or those travel partners and, and you play them an extra two games, you know, to get it to 26 or 28 or whatever you wanted to get it to. I think that would be kind of a cool thing to see too, because I think it's a natural, you got those three schools, you know, look at the, look at the closeness of, you know, St. Cloud and Minnesota Duluth and, and North Dakota, you got those rivalries there that are still intact. Um, and, and I think that's an important part of our sport. Yeah, and, and it's also uh, interesting to note, too, I'm glad you mentioned the scheduling pieces because you can only play so many games in a given year. That's correct. Uh, right. th throwing it back to the 2019-20 season that you know ended with COVID and uh, the boys getting ready to go to Western Michigan, they only played Omaha once that year for one yeah. series. So, I mean, you, you kind of have that scheduling a little bit as well where you might have uh, you know maybe one, two, or three teams where you only end up playing them for a single weekend instead of getting kind of the, the full gamut or the, the overabundance of games that we've seen as far as, uh, you know, the Huskies facing Western Michigan for the fifth and sixth time this upcoming season. Nick, yeah. I, wa I want to pose this one to you here. Uh, the WCHA on the men's side, uh, essentially going by the wayside in the next couple of years, what does that mean for the women's side in the WCHA? They're getting ready to add St. Thomas as an eighth team, having that even number on the women's side. Uh, does the WCHA continue to be the WCHA for the women's side, or is it a, um, a women's NCHC at some point here with Josh Fenton and company? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if there is a, a sure answer for that. Um, you know that any league, you know, whether it's the WCH or whatnot, they want to, you know, obviously stick around as long as they can. Um, but it might present itself, as you mentioned, an opportunity for the lead to come in and maybe buy some naming rights. But again, finances are so tight with everybody. I'm not sure. I, I mean, it's almost by default, the WCHA and the women's side just might be there just because it, it works right now. And, and it's financially, I guess, stable, maybe is the best word. Um, again, you know, that's going to be hard to, to know. I, if this, if we're not talking about a pandemic or COVID related, I think the answer is different. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, once the CCHA gets going and, you know, if we do see some of these changes, I think that's going to be more of where this conversation comes up. I still think we're maybe a year or two away from really diving into this, but uh, hard to really say how it affects it. But I, you do would imagine that the WCH and the women's side will be pressed for money and maybe looking to get someone to buy them out. It could be like you mentioned a WNCHC um, or it could be something completely different. Um, only time will tell, but I think we're, we're not quite at that doorstep just yet. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that we're not the ones that are actually sitting to have to make some of these decisions because they are big time decisions. And, uh, you know, it, the one thing that you can say about the split, you know, from the old WCHA is uh, at least it was relatively clean, all things considered. Most people kind of knew where they were going uh, this yeah. year with the leagues changing and also with COVID thrown on top of it. I think it, uh, it it's a brouhaha of epic proportions that I would not want to be on the on the commanding end of if you will uh but speaking of a brouhaha of epic proportions that uh, we also aren't on the command of but apparently everyone thinks that we should be or shouldn't be or they are just having a a tough time with this what do you got you two guys is that the brouhaha or oh what? oh funny funny <laughs> and this will be the last show that ben holden will ever join us um so so but but this is uh this is stirring the pot i love it uh, this this love is though this is, though, a, a, a thing that uh, even our own fans have been kind of uh, disgruntled with us about. Um, and the funny thing is, I think a lot of people are upset, but they don't seem to have an answer to, or a solution to, the, to this. And that is, how does the NCAA selection committee uh, you know, do the format this year? One of the interesting things to note, this is the first year. I don't, I don't know when they first started using the pairwise full time, but you got to remember uh, we've pretty much been going off of the USCHO rankings. That yeah. used to be how the field of 16 was actually picked. It was actually picked by a committee before the pairwise brought some objectiveness, if you will, into the mix. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. Uh, do you have any sort of, um, I guess, baseline uh, inkling of how the NCHC should go about, or the NCHC, the NCAA should go about um you know, formatting this tournament, making sure that, you know, do you respect the idea of auto bids still? Um, or do you just grab a field of 16 and the teams that win the respective playoff tournaments get in? I mean, what's your solution? What are your ideas? I think auto bids are going to be tough to sell this year, um, especially with, you know, the different conferences not having as great of luck getting some games going. Because that's the part of it. You're trying to be objective, but, you know, you got some teams at least have only played five, six games. Mm. Here in the NCHC, so you've got, you know, what, 15, sometimes 16 games under your belt, if not more. Yeah. So at the end of it, you know, and let's, let's remember the pairwise, a big part of the pairwise was the exhibition games and the interconference games that teams mm. would play. And that's not there this year. Yeah. So it's tough because um, I know that some of those, you know, the leagues that haven't played, it's to no fault of their own. And then you're going to have a conversation. We'll do auto bids make sense. Um, so now you're possibly taking a representation from a conference to not be there. I don't know. I know there's been talk about essentially an eye test to see, you know, uh, you know, where, whether you play 19 games or in the case worse, seven or eight games or however that I, I know the NCAA has a baseline of games you have to play to qualify. Uh, but at the end of it, I, I don't know how you really objectively do this and not have, you know, so at the end of the day, someone's going to get screwed over in this at the end of it. And I, I, I hate to say that, but I don't think you can really boil it down to any math. I, I think it's going to come down to where the committee's going to look at, you know, who the teams have played in each conference. I think you're going to have to set some type of, uh, some type of standard. I do think that, again, the NCHC commissioner, Josh Fenton, had a good point where you look at maybe some historical data for conferences to get in and maybe use that as some type of formula, but, you know, not exact science kind of deal. It's, it's not easy. And again, I, I'm with you in your original comment. I, I would not want to be on any committee and make any decisions knowing, you know, which hockey teams are going to play, you know, essentially in their own postseason and which ones are not. And I don't know, you know, I, one thing I'm glad on is no matter which way it goes that each player who plays this year does have a next year of eligibility. If things do, you know, get normal for next year. So maybe we don't have to have this conversation next year. So maybe there is some silver lining there, but at the end of the day, you know, 
you can choose to use that extra year or you can choose not to. So for some kids, you know, maybe you're a third, fourth line guy, you go, you know what, maybe I'm done, but maybe you're a first, second line guy. Soon you want to come back from the year, have another go. I don't know. So it's tough. Um, I, to me, I think you do have to use some historical data. I do think you have to look at maybe some of the competition that you have played and, you know, kind of see, you know, where you're at and you're going to, you have to basically use a pick them. It's going to be a lot of lottery. It, it's, it, there's no perfect way to do it. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben, I'm going to kick it over to you before I, I get my own input on this. And Ben, you and I kind of talked about this on Thursday. Uh, maybe the feeling is too, you can maybe kind of whittle down. There's, I believe 51 teams playing this year. You got 49 conference-based teams and two independents this season. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we kind of talked, maybe you can whittle down maybe about the first 29 or 30 teams and get around that top 20 or something like that, you know, before you really have to kind of deep dive. It's almost like selecting a roster for a world junior tournament where the initial, you know, couple are easy, but then as you get kind of near the tail end, it becomes a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, what, what is your idea about how this committee should go about this? I would also love to know, Nick, um, when you mentioned uh, what the actual um, minimum game number is for the NCAA to play. And if that maybe does go out the window, if they feel a team that has only played a handful of games is strong enough to make this tournament, but go ahead, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me to Nick's point going into the weekend, UMass Lowell played four games. Boston University had played six. I mean, how do you put those teams in? Do you take uh, – and there's a lot of good points that Nick made, and one of those is the historical part of it for me. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you look back at last year, what the projected field was? Do you factor that in as any percentage of this? I mean, I, I don't know that many people have talked – I haven't heard many people talk about that. I'm just throwing an idea out there because, you know, you've seen it from – pull them out of a hat, which we know is not going to happen. You've seen, and I like this idea. I do like this idea. Regular season champ and the conference champ make the tournament out of the six leagues. I'll give you an example, and this one's going to sting, and it's not meant to be intentional because it involves St. Cloud State in a negative way. AIC, in the last 28 games, they are 24-4. and four. So how do you keep a team like that out of the tournament? Let's say they win the regular season in the end and they lose the conference tournament. How do you, how is it fair to keep that team out? I mean, they've proven they can win in the tournament. And again, I'm sorry. I know we're on a St. Cloud show, but I think it's a really good example because how is that not fair to let, or how is it fair to let them not be in and keep them out when their team to me has been one of the better teams in the country and they've proven that they can win big games on a big stage. So I, I don't know the answer to it, but I, I, I like the idea of regular season tournament champ. If that's different, you go down to the next notch. You know, I think the bigger conferences, the NCHC, the Big Ten, I'd say Hockey East, but the problem with Hockey East is they haven't played enough games. And the NCHC and the Big Ten have played more games than anybody. And I'm not going to be shocked if there's four teams from the NCHC and a minimum of three from the Big Ten. I mean, I, I think it, it might almost even be flipped. I think you might take four be. from the Big Ten and three could from the be. ACAC. So, so I, I, I agree with your notion except for one league, and that is the ECAC, specifically because of the fact that they only have four teams playing. So you have right. to be careful with that. Yeah. Um, I think with the ECAC, you maybe throw the independent teams in there as well in terms of Alabama, Huntsville, and ASU to give it a little bit more um, oomph as far as number of teams. Here, I kind of want to piggyback off of both your points here. Um, and it does go off of historical data. So Nick, I'm glad you mentioned this. Here's my proposal. I think you look at last year's data. 
how many teams came out of the Big Ten? How many teams came out of the NCHC? How many teams came out of the WCHA? Take that into account. You maybe aggregate it with how teams are doing this year. And I think you have to have a committee determine what league is the strongest. And then you apply a small point, point, you know, not a full percentage, but a small multiplier that makes it where if you're, um, I guess, let's say you're Wisconsin, you're 11 and seven, right? And then AIC finishes the season at 11 and seven. Wisconsin's 11 wins because of that point multiplier for the Big Ten being the best conference in college hockey means more than Atlantic hockey's 11 wins. So you're rewarding those teams still who have played a lot of hockey games. But you say, um, and these are big numbers, they would be decimal points in real life. You would say that, uh, you know, the Big Ten theirs is worth one point. And then the NCHA, they're worth 0.8 of a point. And then the WCHA is worth 0.6 and you go down the line. So you're still rewarding teams like, uh, you know, that have played a lot of games like Bowling Green, who's 16 and four, you're rewarding them for having a good season, but yeah. you're also giving these other teams who have played only six games, a chance to essentially still go up against another team who has six wins as well. But your six wins might not mean as much because your conference just isn't as strong. So it's still, factors in the fidelity of, uh, you know, the strength of conference. It doesn't even it out where it's just a straight up ranking where, or points percentage, if you will, but it still rewards leagues like the big 10 or the NCHC who might field half of this tournament is potentially because they played a lot of hockey games and granted they've got really, really good hockey teams. You look at the NCHC. Uh, I don't know if four teams come out of the NCHC. I think three could for sure. You got to look North Dakota's at 38 points, St. Cloud and Duluth tied at 33 Omaha's at 30 before you have a nine point drop off to Denver and then 11 points to Western Michigan. So I think the top four for the NCHC is set, but does that number four team get into the tournament? I think that's where maybe you factor in strength of conference and strength of schedule with that mathematical algorithm, but still pay respects to number of games played and rankings from the USCHO on top of that. And you can still have playoff and tournament time to have auto bids. If you so choose. I think you could blow this whole thing up. Also. Um, one thing they were forgetting is, you know, this is a different year. It's been a different year for now, 10 months. We're going to almost go into 11 as we hit uh, February tomorrow. Yep. But the one thing we're forgetting is, you know, the NCAA, do they have to stick to the 16 nope. team format? 24. And one, right. And and I would think yeah. that, you know, whether you do something similar to like the NHL where you had maybe a play-in rounder, you know, maybe like you said, you set in certain number of, you know, 16, but you maybe have 24 teams. Um, you're talking about a bubble scenario. And I think, the NCAA, if they're going to have a successful tournament, then they're going to have to do a bubble scenario, if you ask me. Um, depending on how they accomplish that, I don't know. But I do think each regional needs to expand. I do. Just because, again, the selection needs to get it down to 16. I, I don't know if you can really make it that fair. But what's fair is have the teams play it out. Make them win a game. So I think you have to – I think you have to – at least invite more teams. I think you go up to 24. I agree so, with you so there. So would you go, would you go, okay, four regionals, yep. six teams at each regional. Six, yeah. Would you want to do it as a, like a double elimination or how would you do that? That's a good question. Um, you know, cause you could always give maybe the first round seat or the first two a buy. Hmm. Um, you could always, you know, schedule like that. You could do maybe a round Robin, like for a couple of games, so just to get, you know, for, especially for some teams that are coming in, especially out east and maybe only play four or six games, get them into, into some into some playing mode. And then, you know, again, go into maybe a single elimination, maybe double um, either way. But I think we have to look 
a little bit more, I guess, creatively at this, because I think, again, <clears throat> the NCAA to really make this successful, they have to think outside the box. And if there's one thing that we've been doing throughout the discussion is we're, we're, we're still focused on 16 teams. I just don't know if that's going to be good enough for anybody. Um, I think you have to expand it. I think you let the teams play, play each other. And then I think the conversation later on in the history books will be like, we made something happen, we expanded it, but ultimately the teams, the players decided who was going to get to the NCAA Frozen Florida wasn't some you know, subjective committee that tried to pick 16 teams. I think you let more teams play. And I like that too, because before I kick it back down to Ben again, um, like we talked about, I think if you look at the standings right now, even if you just go conference by conference, you can pick out the top 18 or 20 teams in the nation, just looking at records and that sort of thing. So that's where you look at, we had a discussion on Twitter with a couple of our fans, you know, Penn state who's eight and eight or nine and eight right now. And then Notre Dame who's just below 500 because they're playing teams like Minnesota and the big 10 and NCH are beating up on each other respectively. Um, I think both those teams have a deserving chance to be in this tournament. And I think if you feel 24 teams, you're having enough of those big name teams who have played in a strong conference, who have earned that right. But then you're also giving a team, like you mentioned, like UMass or BU, who unfortunately haven't had the ability to play that number of games, but who knows, maybe the terror terriers are able to rattle off four wins and punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't know, but that's a very, or the frozen four. That's a very good point. Uh, uh, ben, what do you think about expanding the field? Is 24 the right number? Um, or do you not want to see the field expanded at all? I'd personally like to see it where it's at. And I think okay. I, I'm going to play, I'm going to play the other side of this. I'm going to play the side of negativity. That, that's going to be me in the next segment. So I'm excited because to have you do it first. <laughs> that's fine. This isn't me speaking this. This is what I envision happening. More people are going to complain. And you know what? Than they ever have because there's no system. I mean, I did regionals for 10 years and for the last month of the season, every year, all I did was check Jason Moy's predictions every day. He released them. We had a system. There was really no, there was no room to, to bicker or really debate because that was the system. I think you're going to have a lot of teams that are left out that probably should be in. I like your point about Penn state. I'm not saying they should be in right now. Um, you know, they had a split with Notre Dame over the weekend. That's a good hockey team. They can play. And I think too, that, you know, you mentioned the WCHA teams, Minnesota State, Bowling Green. Those teams both have to be in. They Bemidji, have to be in Bemidji because you almost. have to take into consideration the hellish year and season that all these teams, players, coaches, everybody's had to go through just to play. So that leads me back to where I kind of said, no, I think it should stay at 16, where in that sense, maybe it's not a bad idea to let in a few more teams and get it up. To, to 24 and let in two more teams in each bracket. I'm a traditionalist in that sense, but I'm also for change at the same time when it's change that's made in the right direction. And it's not a change just made to make a change. If it's right and teams are willing or not willing, teams have earned the right and should be there, then put them in. But if they're not, and, and this year, again, it's hard because nobody knows. And I think you're going to see more pessimism, more complaining, more bickering. Our team got screwed this and that than we've ever seen. Uh, yeah. That's just my opinion. And I, I understand how, you know, look for 11 months, uh, this country has been, uh, you know, torn flipped apart, on, flipped, divided, flipped whatever you want to say, everything's yeah. been jacked up. It hasn't been right. Um, I'd love to see him get it right on this and, and but it's going to be tough. I, I wouldn't want to be a part of the committee, but um, it's going to be a tough decision. And, you know, I just hope they get it right in the end. 
I'm glad you mentioned the WCHA. The WCHA is a group that could almost uh, potentially push four teams through two if Bemidji yeah. continues to make the push that they're doing. You got Bemidji, you got Mankato, Bowling Green is having an mm-hmm. astronomical year. And then I think Michigan. Exactly. Michigan Tech, yep, yeah. exactly, is even in that conversation. I think the biggest the, the mo- biggest difficulty here is not even so much that people haven't played the same number of games. It's that even these leagues who have played way less games don't have any sort of rhythm where each team has played 10 or 12 games, like, collectively, you know, with each team. You have some teams that have played right. eight, some that have played 14 because they somehow live close to another league. It's just an absolute mess. So my final question for you before we move on to this next topic is, regardless – of if the field is at 16 or the field is at 24, do you agree that some sort of math-based algorithm or playoff style format within the leagues in terms of auto bids should create part or all of the field? Or do you think it should be a a committee of say 20 of the best hockey minds in college hockey, similar to the USCHO rankings who say the top 16 or the top 24 teams are in those NCAA regionals, no playoffs, no ifs, ands, or buts. You're going, you're playing. That's it. So if you're a team like CC or Miami, your season, I'm sorry, it's done. You don't get a chance at the playoffs. The top 24 teams in the USCHA polls, no math, just a selection committee. People are going to be pissed regardless, but do you go back and say a selection committee takes it all? Or do you want some sort of algorithm or some sort of objectivity, if you will, uh, to take the reins. Nick, we'll start with you. I don't think you can have objectivity in this season. I think there's no way you can weigh the math to make it work. Mm-hmm. I think it ends up being a selection committee. I like your idea, Noah. Um, you know, get a bunch of people involved. You know, again, I, I agree with expanding it um, to a little bit just to try to, you know, I guess lessen the blow a little bit. But um, I, again, I don't think you can math and I don't think auto bids work in this situation, not, not this season. Ben, uh, should we be the selection committee for um, the NCAA? I think we should. Um, okay, but then on that point, do you agree with Nick? And if so, do you take the league playoffs out of the mix? So no NCAC frozen faceoff and things like that. When you say that, so that doesn't factor in at all, that's what you're proposing? I'm proposing that when the season is done, the top, if you have a selection committee, if you agree with the selection committee, the top 16 or 2014 teams in the country, they're in regional start. You, you don't get a chance at CC or Miami to try to claw your way back in. So you're saying when the regular season's done, that's it. You're done. That's what you're basing it on. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I think the tournament should factor into it because okay. I go back to what I said initially, regular season champ should be in and the tournament champ should be in. I, that's just how I feel. So, and I'm with Nick. I'm with Nick in that sense where I don't think there's – look, if we got rid of the pairwise, how can we bring in some kind of statistical or – algorithm or whatever like you said that doesn't seem right because the pairwise work so, so that's where so, i stand so so does a league like the ecac deserve to punch two teams in when they've had four teams that are playing do they deserve to have half of their field enter the tournament under that i want to answer that just only because i don't i don't think it's you're talking about what's fair to the league i think it's fair to the teams honestly i, I mean yeah. at the end of that you know the league's I could give, sorry, this is going to sound harsh, but I don't give a rat's rear end about the conferences. I care about the teams that deserve to be there. Right. I agree with Nick on that. I do. I think, I think there has to be a bigger human element. And I liked what you said, Noah, if you put the biggest, if you put 20 minds in the room that have covered the sport for hump decades, years, whatever it is, let them decide. I mean, that's just me. I'm old school that way. I think with, with no, with no pairwise, I don't think now you can drag something else in 
to kind of maybe use that as a factor. It's a good idea. I just don't like it. Can, can, can we tweak your, your idea, Ben, and say, um, say that, uh, I guess it depends on where you feel that teams are. I like your idea for regular season and playoff champion, but I think it's more applicable to some, some other leagues, like for example, Atlantic hockey, where maybe they do deserve to punch two tickets this year, or maybe even three tickets versus a league like the NCHC. It almost, for the most part, unless Miami or Western Michigan comes out of nowhere is almost a formality, if you will, because the two teams are going to get there. So I'm just trying to think about, you know, are are there certain you know, is there a way where it's like, maybe you look at where the regular season conference champions are. And if they're all in that field of 24, then you only add the additional um, playoff champion. Yes. You know, that's how I would do it. Yeah. Yeah, That's how I do it. Yeah. Cause, cause that, that's my biggest fear is, is not, I shouldn't say fear. No, I don't really give a crap, but I mean, it's like, um, it, I just, and I keep going back to the ECAC and it's not because I'm trying to razz on the ECAC it's do two teams who have a combined 10 games between them deserve to be in that tournament over a WCHA no. team who has who is eight and eight, you know, I, I, that, no, I, I agree with you. And that's where the human element to me in the hockey minds that mm-hmm. are going to the selection committee, they have to make the right decision. Okay. So, and, and that's so, just the reality because we don't have, we don't have the pairwise. We don't have all those other things. We haven't seen North Dakota, for example, go play Boston College. So we don't know. We don't, we can't, none of that factors in. We can play off the history, but I think the history is history for a reason because it's history. I so like that. what have you done for me lately? I guess is kind of where I'm coming from with that. So, so to recap this, just so, just so we're all in agreement, because this is a very messy topic. So I want people to just understand what we're saying. And it's also for my own clarity, because I'm dumber than a box of rocks, but um, so essentially what you're saying, play the playoffs for each conference. If you can regular season champions in playoff champions in then the selection committee puts all the rest of the teams in the field around those teams that have punched yeah. those tickets. And then you rank them according to, um, essentially like auto bits. So if the last team in Atlantic hockey gets in, they're going to be the number 24 seed because they won the playoff, but they're still the lowest ranking team, similar to how the pairwise or rankings would normally have them. If you will, it, it depends on, yeah, I, 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 again, that's, that's tough. I don't know, Nick, what do you think, man? That's, that's hard. That's a hard call, man. It's a hard call, but I mean, I think every team at this point, if your name is called and if there's 24 teams, or 16, I think you're just going to be happy to play. I mean, right. and ranking is one thing to say St. Cloud. And I hate to say, yeah. it, but you know, number one doesn't mean anything either. You still got to play. You still got to win right. your game. So at the end of it, if you're in, you have a chance. You got to take it one game at a time. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of uh, like Buffalo and Montreal during that play and where Montreal was, I think points percentage wise or something like that, they were actually below Buffalo in the standings, but because of the way that the format or games played was structured it actually flipped that. So uh, like, like you, like you guys mentioned, someone's going to get screwed out of this process and that is going to be what it's going to be. But honestly, I think the positive thing to think about here, we have 51 out of the 60 college hockey teams playing hockey this year. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. phenomenal, you know? So I, uh, I'm really excited, hopefully, to see uh, where the tournament does end up, what they're going to do. And I think St. Cloud State, uh, as long as they don't drop like six out of their last seven, I think they have a good chance to punch their ticket into this tournament. I'm really excited to see. Hopefully, the Huskies try to maybe vindicate some uh, tournament demons. Uh, 
uh, our last topic here that we're going to get to stems actually from the state of Minnesota um, and the Minnesota Wild. And that is uh, the LA Kings game the other night, uh, the same game in which Fiala was ejected for boarding, but uh, a bigger moment in that game kind of took precedence. And that was Sean Walker of the Los Angeles Kings for the second time in as many years, taking a slap shot to the face. Um, and this one was oh. messy. I mean, blood all over the ice. I uh, really ripped up his face. I, uh, you know, um, that zygomatic bone, everything pretty much in, near his mouth. It was just bad. If you go look it up, you'll find the picture of him uh, post game. It's not pretty, but he did fly home with the team. So that does bode well for good news that he was able to fly home, but that begs the question here, guys. And we've seen this one on Twitter as well, because, you know, Twitter is just a great resource for factual information regarding <laughs> hockey. Um, the NHL um, with all the protocols to protect players with COVID and that sort of thing, um, do they continue to let players wear visors? Do they switch to bubbles? And if so, do other leagues switch to bubbles or do other leagues go the other direction and start incorporating visors even at the college game? Ben, you got a smirk on your face, so you're getting this one to start. Well, number one, I was when you were talking about it, I hadn't seen the entire uh, clip, so I watched it here on my iPad. Horrible. <clears throat> I just saw I saw Walker's face, obviously, on, on Twitter uh, and social media earlier in the week. I don't think they change it because, number one, I don't think players want it. I think players would play without shields if they were really given the opportunity. You ask any guy that plays pro hockey, I think nine and a half out of ten of them would tell you that they want to play without a face shield. They're just more comfortable. They can see it. It's less restricting. That's my experience, and I think – it's always been backwards to me, guys. That's why I was smirking, because mm -hmm. in junior, you go play junior with a half shield, and then you go to college, and you got to wear a full shield. Makes no sense. I think that that's, you know, we talked earlier about changing just to change, and, and I know there's a lot of medical things in that, and I get all that, but that's something I'd like to see change within time. That's Screw, just the old school guy in me. Screw science, Ben. We don't need science. No, I'm not. No, I'm not taking <laughs> that kidding, side, man. No, 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 no. No, I believe in science, but you know that's just me. I, I don't like. I said I, I think the players would would go, would do away with it if they could. Should it I be a player do. vote? Should it be a player that, vote? Should it yeah. be a player vote? You think? Why similar to, similar to fighting, where 98 percent of players want fighting to stay in the game. There you go. Nick, yeah. Your thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, you're forgetting the NHL mandates now that you must wear a half shield before they didn't have that. So anybody, any new player coming into the league is mandated to wear a half shield before we got to remember, you know, not too long ago, it was not common. In fact, I think when more European players started coming over and they carried their half shields from the over across the Atlantic ocean, it was kind of seen, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of stigmatized, but yep. then again, you know, the shots are harder. Um, the play is, you know, still physical, uh, but the, the game is changing. And it, to your point, Noah, um, and I, I like Ben's comment too, you know, watching Connor McDavid in the OHL in a playoff game against Sarnia, how often do you see this type of play actually happen? Um, you know, where a, somebody takes a puck to the face. Um, you and I are both former forwards. You know, to me, when I was able to get rid of my full cage and put on a half visor, I wear a half visor, I feel fine. And at the end of it, if a puck hits me in the, in the mouth, it's part of the game. Um, yep. And I know that the league also looks at maybe high sticks and just some of those, you know, unforeseen elements too. But at the end of it, I do think that college hockey itself needs to switch to a half visor. 
Just because, again, you want it to be a developmental league. We talked about that with the ice dimensions, too, with the Herbrex National Hockey Center. I would be in favor of them switching to the NHL dimensions, honestly. Um, at the end of it, to me, I think it's a moot point. Uh, I don't think you need to switch to a bubble. Now, players can choose to wear one if they if they don't. Um, but I'm also with Ben. You know, Should they have the ability to wear a facial or not? Uh, to me, I like the half visor mandate only because, again, a, with your face completely there, with some of these guys cranking – you know, 95 and a whole mile, hundred miles slap shots. I think there has to be at least some protection for the eyes. Cause I mean, you're not just talking about ending a career, you're talking about life, you know, altering situations there. So I think you need some protection there, but at the end of it, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think you need to have the, the full bubble in the national hockey. Like I, I think that's a moot point. Real quick. If I can Noah, and, and you guys watch enough games, you guys watch games every day. Like I do. How many of those guys are wearing that thing and it's barely yep. even covering their yep. eyes? That's that's where I was going mean, to go. They, it shows you right there that guys, I believe, don't really want to wear it and they're doing it because, and I agree with Nick's point, because the league mandates it. Obviously, you got to be safe and you know that, but it's part of the game. It's part of the risk when you go out and play. Yeah, um, I'm going to qualify this. Um, I disagree with you guys on some points because I hate you both. Um, <laughs> Back at you. <laughs> um, and and it, it's, not, it's not so much, you know, like for me, like if guys, like, like you mentioned, it, it's consensual. You consent to be paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to lay down in front of a puck. Like you, like no one put a gun to your head and say, play in the National Hockey League. Like you went out and did that. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not overly, you know, frustrated by it, but um and another to your guys' point as well, um, statistics do show that um, leagues that do have visors instead of cages or um, bubbles, if you will, um, usually actually have less stick infractions or, you know, elbows to the face because players have more respect for, you know, or when you're going to chip yeah. a puck off the glass, you try not to, you know, ring one by somebody's ear as it's going off the glass. <laughs> However, um, when you guys talk about the point about, um, you know, when you wear it a major junior, how it's different in certain, you know, pro leagues versus like those amateur leagues and that sort of thing. I think, um, and I know the WHL is not an amateur league per se, because players do get a stipend, but I almost consider it an amateur league in that respect. Cause you have young kids that are playing. I think any league where players are, I don't know, under 20 years old, you have to wear a bubble. I, that that's just, that's just me because how, how is it? How do you, how do you justify having someone who's 16, 17 years old wearing a half shield, you know, and half of these kids that wear a half shield are not, you can stop shaking your head. I understand you disagree with me, but how is, how is it that, you know, these guys, they wear their visors tilted up and it's just, you, you know, that's a decision at 17 years old that players, you know, do you know why players wear visors besides the ease of access that you can see the puck better that players wear visors because it's cool. It looks cool. It's the cool thing to do. If you wear a full bubble, I'm not talking cages. I'm talking a full bubble shield. You can yeah. see the play just as well, provided the rink isn't freezing and you're fogging up. You can see the play just as well. So I, my question is this, how even at the National Hockey League level, besides the cool factor um, and the ability that you can punch people each other in the face at the National Hockey League level with a visor on still, how does wearing a bubble in a warm national hockey league rink detract from the play of the game in any way. Like those guys can see the puck. They can still play the game of hockey. The only reason I think people don't want to move away from it is because you can feel the air rushing by your face. It's the cool factor. It's just simple. But the reality is if you have one of those guys, I think of Nick Cronwall um, from the Detroit Red Wings, who up here, why did he even have a visor is the real question. 
Um, Cause he had take, to, you take a Sh- Shea Weber slap shot right where, you know, my glasses meet the bridge of my nose. You might not wake up. I mean, that, that that's just the reality. So you mitigate or eliminate the risk and keep your most valuable assets. The reason that the business of national hockey is going is your players, your biggest valuable assets. That's one more way to protect them. And it's a, it's a simple way that players have grown up wearing bubbles or cages. It's not foreign to them. It's not like they grew up playing with half shields. And then all of a sudden you said, Hey, this is a cage. I know you've never seen it before, but put it on your, on your helmet. You know, it doesn't detract from the way they play the game. If you wear a bubble, because every NHL rink is not freezing and it's not going to fog up on you. It's going to simulate the same thing as a visor. It's just, maybe you have a, a little bit harder time breathing that that's about it. But for me, I think, I don't mind them wearing visors. I don't really care enough, but I think if you're looking from a purely medical or player safety standpoint, moving to a bubble is a very cheap, cost-effective and sensible way to keep your players safe by not altering the way the game is played or the equipment really is mandated, you know? And you you have it first. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say two things. I, when I, I played through high school, like you guys did, and I wore one of those iTechs because the cage was bothersome to me. And you ask guys that play what bother and, and your points are valid. No, and this isn't a pile on to you, but this is just my experience in talking to guys. They will tell you they lose the periphery. They lose the periphery with any kind of thing that's around them. They lose it. They can't see everything. And I know it's clear but it comes down, it's over. It just, that's, I think, where you're going to get players that are going to say that. So more what? than they would say, oh, I'd wear it because it's safe. No, okay. I want to wear it because I'm open and I can see and my vision is clear and I can see everything in my periphery. So, what ha- so, so does the conversation change if Sean Walker takes a slap shot from Matt Dumba on whatever night it was and doesn't move? Dead on the ice. Do, do, does that change? Probably. Yeah. Unfortunately, it it probably does. Should it, you know, it's a great question. I don't know. Nick. And and here's, and here's why I say, I don't know. So I want to go back to your earlier points, Noah, to the junior league. So when you are in squirts or in your in Bantam, you know, you're learning how to check, right? Well, you're learning not only how to give a check, you're also learning how to receive a check. Right. So, you know, you, you talk about penalties in the NHL and stick infractions, right? And how the referee puts the onus on you being in control of your stick, right? And that means that you're following through in a pass and it gets a high stick. The younger you teach kids how to control your stick, yeah. and your statistics prove that, you know, as you as you mentioned, that means you're just more aware as a player. That means you're more matured as a player. So to me, I don't think the issue is the visor at all. It's do we have to have the discussion of, you know, why was he going through the slot there? You know, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate there. I'm being on purpose. But I don't think even if he has a serious injury, that changes anything. Because at the end of the day, the, the way tech, are we talking about the same thing um, in Boston? Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy who was on a penalty kill and broke his tibia. And his tibia. Oh, well, Stephen Stamkos no. did break his leg too. No, but you know, staying out there for the whole PK. Oh, was Greg, it? Greg Campbell. Greg, Greg Campbell, yeah. 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 So, you know, it's like, well, then are we – because, mind you, he put his knee down – so he was blocking the shot, but there's no real padding on the on the sides there, right? It's all on the front. So yeah. now are we, are we having this conversation about the design change of having wrapped around stuff on your knee pads? I didn't hear anybody complain about that. 
Okay. So you're, you're opening, you're opening up a wall that I, I don't know if it really needs to be there. Now, granted, I'm not taking away the seriousness of his injury. I think we all can agree with that. That's not what we want, Yeah. but does the equipment change? Are we trying to mandate something? I don't know. I just don't know if there's enough of that type of injury happening that mandates it. Now, if this is happening on a daily basis, absolutely let's have the conversation because obviously we want everybody to be safe. You know, mm-hmm. we want this game to have the players in there, but this is not a common thing. It, it was it was a, a terrible thing that happened. Yes, Matt Dumbo, we know can bring it on the on his slap shot. He's got an absolute heavy shot. Yeah. But for him to take it up in that area, now granted, let's let's think about this where he was in the slot, if that puck is sailing six, seven feet over the glass, that was how high this thing was. That's not an NHL shot. You know, most shots are much lower than that. So mm. I don't know. I think it's an unfortunate incident, but I don't think it I think I don't think it rises to the occasion we're talking about changing equipment. I just don't. Okay. So let's let's go back to your junior league comment here. Uh yeah, you're right about learning to play the right way without sticking fractions and elbows to the face and this and that. But regardless, if someone if someone chips a puck off the glass and a defenseman doesn't see it and they get their their jibs, their teeth knocked out. That, that has nothing to do with the way that they've anticipated the player learn how to play the right way that, you know, if you have a defenseman who's coming through the slot or think about Steven Stamkos, like we were talking about the incident where when he was in Boston playing in Boston and broke his nose, someone took a slap shot from the point and it was deflected and it you're, hit you're, him in the, and it hit him in the face. So, so right. part of me, part of me is thinking about this. Okay. Yes. I know the players, you know, maybe it helps them play the game a little bit easier, but it, it's, you know, when you talk about shin pads, how many guys block shots with shin pads and break legs, you know, versus block shots with shin pads and don't break legs versus how many guys take a puck to the face and walk away unscathed. I mean, that's just, and it's a change. It's a change when you put a bubble in front of somebody's face, it's a change that is not detrimental to the game. It keeps the player safe and it eliminates the risk of some defenseman flying through the slot and taking a redirected puck. And all of a sudden they're laying in a pool of blood on the ice with their family in the stands going, what the heck is going on? And I get it. That's hockey. I understand. But I think as we alluded to earlier, if someone someday takes a Shea Weber slap shot and dies on national live television, I think the national hockey league has to consider and leagues below it has to consider that if someone dies, because when you wear a visor or at worst, if your grandfather didn't and don't wear a visor, or if you have your visor tilted up, you're just flirting with disaster. You're, you're increasing the risk of the structure of your body being altered in some way, shape or form and having life-changing consequences, potentially plates in your face, cognitive issues, that sort of thing. And part of me is like, all for what? because you don't want to put an extra little bit of plastic around your face. It makes no sense. Hockey helmets themselves aren't that safe anyway. So why increase the risk? Uh, you know, I, I just want to quickly respond and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back yeah, to that's you. Fine. You're, 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 you're taking this from a medical perspective and you're one of again, like Ben said, what you're saying isn't wrong. Yeah. The problem is let's, let's take the same player. Let's just say that he takes one, the side in the temple. Are we having, you know, the same conversation uh, we're having right now? because let's just say the helmet was there. He gets hit and because he gets hit in the right spot, he's got some brain damage. Now we're talking about restructuring the hockey helmet, which I they mean, should, I, which they should anyway, a side uh, note, but side note, but <laughs> at the end of it, hockey, we know is a game of bounces. It's a game of goofy stuff that, as you mentioned, a puck off the glass, you can't prepare for. I don't know with any change. You can't, in the words of Mike Milbury, you can't baby proof the league. You know, you can do a lot of things that will make it good, but I just don't know if this incident, you know, 
does it does it for me. I just don't. Now, to your other question, if someone takes a slap shot in the face and is either seriously or injured or worse dies, um, does that at that point revive a conversation? Maybe it does. Um, but you know, we haven't had that yet. We have a guy that got hurt. He's up, he's walking. Um, you know, luckily it wasn't more serious than it was, but uh, I hate to say this, you know, cause it, it sounds bad, but I think until like to your point is, unless someone does get to the level where it's really that bad, I don't think the league is going to change anything. It's, it's just odd to me because to me, it's almost the same concept as if you took, you know, a, a, an NFL lineman or a linebacker and said, okay, take 90% of the cage off of your helmet and go play. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, it doesn't make sense, but a lot of guys would do it. Sure. But, but then, but then that goes back to the point is as much as the players want it, at what point does the league step in? Because name, but they have, but they they have, and to me, that's a player's decision. I'm playing the game. That's my decision. And that's the PA's decision. I think that's just me though. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I, I, and I don't just, I I don't like adamantly disagree with you guys. I'm just, you know, trying to try to say, It's just like when I look at the pros and cons of wearing a bubble versus a visor, I don't see many pros with a visor besides uh, ease of comfort playing the game. You're dead right. You're you're, you're you're right. Spot on. But but at the end of Ben's point, you know, again, remember a curved glass, whether it's a bubble or this, it does bend light. You do lose peripheral vision that way. So whether you want to, I don't think it's the cool factor, to be honest with you. Uh, I wear a half shield because I want to protect my eye. You can hit me in the mouth. I can get new teeth. It'll look fake, but I'll have new teeth. I can get hit in the nostrils, sew me up, whatever, right? At the end of it, but you can't replace the eye, right? You can have bone surgery. You, you, there's stuff there to fix this right? It's not going to be pretty, but it'll fix it. It's not, you know, yeah. my, my point is to them, you got to also remember too, the league mandated and also the NHLPA signs off of anything the league does some for change. The players have right. also said, we want to wear, we agree we should wear at least a half visor. And to Ben's point, if they want to go further than that, they can. But again, the league wants to go for the bubble and go a half shield. Again, the players have to vote on that. I don't think it gets that far. Okay. So, so final point about that, um, because I'm glad you mentioned it. And also, I don't know what you're talking about, about um, pucks on the peripheral vision, because you never have the puck anyway, Nick, but um, I I, I wish there was a camera to to say otherwise, but that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, But uh, so that's, that's all well and fine because these are grown men. These are professionals. And like you guys mentioned, they can do what they want. Okay. What about someone who's 16? and play a major junior there's someone who is not a legal adult yet how, how are they how are they still free to make that decision that's my question then they're not though that's 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 the thing is again they're they're not wearing a visor because they want to they're wearing one because they have to that's that's right. league mandated so, so they're so, signing somebody's signing off whether it's the parents the kids both of them whatever okay. so you know i i'll throw this at you guys too like you know think about hitting from behind and I'm probably opening a can of worms here. That's a completely another show, Hashtag but Kevin Fiala, <laughs> right? So <laughs> that's still happening. Like I've watched, I, I just pulled up the Travis Roy incident when he got paralyzed, mm-hmm. he hit a guy, he didn't even get hit. And sadly what happened to him and God rest his soul. That's what happened to him. It's part of the risk of playing. And you, you, we've had all these things to all these penalties and the way it's called for hitting from behind and to me, that's a far more controllable thing than a guy taking a puck to a face to his face. I mean, the, you're right, Noah. The the one that that the Dumba shot. I mean, that thing was five six feet off the ground, and he's just standing there. Bam! 
So I don't know. You make great points. I think we all do. And it's, it's a great debate. So, yeah, it's just interesting because like, you know, controllable is like controllable in human actions versus like you mitigate the risk by it'd be like, be like if you had a car and you're driving a car and you, you decide to not put airbags in because you, you don't, you don't feel like it versus, you know, you put an airbag in just cause it's safe. But anyway, that'll, yeah. that'll do it. That'll do it for our discussion. Um, I would love to hear people's uh, comments um, as well about what they think on this topic. Cause this is a very, very highly debated topic. So, um, but that'll do it for the Huskies warming house podcast. Like we mentioned men's hockey back in action uh, against Western Michigan in a much needed uh, vindication, hopefully uh, in this upcoming week. And then women's hockey looking to get, uh, get off the schneid, if you will, against the Mankato uh, Mavericks also at home. So a double header for the men's team and women's team, if I'm not mistaken at the Herbrooks national hockey center, we'll have, of course, our previews, our recaps, as well as our upcoming guest this week on Tuesday in Tom Nelson, hopefully the flying fins coming up next week. And that will do it. Uh, we, that will not do it for episode one more seven. One more is because we're a sports podcast and next Sunday is super bowl Sunday. Yes. Yes. So I'm, I'm just quick, quick predictions from all three of us. I just had to get that in there because uh, it's Tampa against Kansas city. Ben, who do you got? Uh, well, there's a couple different ways I can go here. Um, well, you only get one. So go, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's hard for me to pick against Brady and I'm not going to do it again. Cause they got me last time they played. I'm going bucks. I. Uh, Kansas City, uh, Patrick Mahomes, the youngest QB ever in back-to-back Super Bowls. Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl. There's a reason he hit double digits. Buccaneers take it. I got the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure Maybe next know. year. Maybe next year. Um, it's always that uh, always that sentiment. If Brady retires. <laughs> and, right. It, it's a really good matchup quarterback-wise, right? You got you know, the, oh. the GOAT and Tom Brady. You got arguably – this is almost a passive the torch game almost. Don't the baby it feel goat. that way? It, it's yeah. the baby GOAT yeah. coming yeah. in. And uh, to me, with Tampa Bay at home, I, I love Patrick Mahomes and what he does. Um, I do like the secondary of uh, Tampa more. Uh, Kansas City, I think that it's going to depend on the running game, honestly, for either team. And I think where the run game is better right now is Kansas City. So my head says Kansas City, all oh, my heart wants it for Tampa. I would like to see a home team in the Super Bowl make it win. I think they'd be kind of fun. And I want the, the GOAT to get another Super Bowl ring so he can retire and then just let somebody else have a chance, dang it. So right. for, that'd be great. First time uh, in NFL history that a team that is playing in the Super Bowl is playing in their home stadium. Unfortunate yep. that it is a year of COVID. But even when you mentioned the Vikings, I think if Tom Brady came to the Vikings, he still couldn't save us. But uh, No, Marv <laughs> couldn't. Nope. Favre yeah, could. Well, Favre could have, if he would have decided to not throw into double coverage and just, you know, run the, the middle run, run the ball an extra five yards and get in a field goal range. It's fine. We'll pick this up next week. We'll yes. pick it up next we'll week. We'll pick it up. <laughs> Episode number 48 coming up next week. That will do it for the Huskies Warming House podcast. We'll see you next week in the den.